You are listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, part of the Tokyo Beat Podcast Network. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is SequelCast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts are best that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2 and Friends, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time. We are part of the Tokyo Beat Podcast Network and we are looking at uh, the first of two animated Adam West Batman uh, direct-to-video features. Although I think they might have aired in theaters once as part of like a Fandango thing. Or uh, Batman: Return of the Caped Crusaders, directed by Rick Morales. This came out in 2016. Uh, I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi. With me is Thrasher. Stop me if you've heard this one, Batman. Why don't eggs tell jokes? Because they crack each other up. And Alex. Holy well-timed pun, Batman. Definitely. So, it was, um, you know, when I, I first saw these coming out, it got me pretty excited. Adam West was was still with us at the time, as was Burt Ward and, and Julie Newmar, and the rest were um, people, some some famous comedians, some not doing uh, sound-alikes. And because, you know, the... Although they had done some TV specials over the years with uh, Adam West and Burt Ward and, and the rest reprising their role as Batman and, and Robin and the Joker. The actors age, but if you do like a cartoon, they can still look as young as they ever did, even though their voices sound a bit older, which can cause a bit of a, a disconnect. Yeah, but, that was a bit of a disconnect I experienced as well. Like I would totally get into it, but then every once in a while I'm like... You know, that, that the, the, the boy wonder is actually, you know, probably in his 60s. You know, with, with Burt Ward as Robin in this, uh, I quickly forget that he is an old man now. He, he yes. really captures the same youthful exuberance that he had back in the 60s. With Adam West, the, the age and roughness on Adam West's voice doesn't bother me. What bothers me is that... On occasion, he lapses into the Mayor Adam West from Family Guy <laughs> persona in this. Sure, and his um, him as Mayor Adam West on Family Guy, I think that was all the way from the very first season, so that had been a regular gig for him for years, besides uh, showing up at, at conventions and so forth. Um, I've never met uh, any of the Batman 66 people at conventions. Have either of you? No, I almost... I almost had uh, a chance to meet both of them, but I was working at that convention and never mm. got the opportunity to break away. And I really do regret that. My plan is the next time I'm at a show that that Burt Ward is at, I am going to pounce on that and make sure I get to say hi, shake his hand, maybe get something signed. Yeah, I know Burt Ward operates, um, he does a lot of work with uh, animal rescue and, and operates a, a dog food company that uses... Um, you know, good ingredients it has been his business, uh, your side business for a while. And I wonder if they pitch shift his voice in this to sound a little bit younger. I don't know what it is, but it's pretty, um, pretty crazy to see. Cause I did see the clip of him. Oh, this would have been a, a few years ago now, but they did like a crisis on infinite earth sort of crossover with, um, 
Oh, all the CW shows. With the CW shows, thank you. With the with Green Arrow and, and the Flash and all that. And there there was like a Batman 66 universe, and he was there in character as Robin, just wearing a sweater, unfortunately. But um, well, the, the, sense, few lines. The, sense, uh, the sense I got from it is that it's a Robin who's reached retirement age, so yes. he's just on the street on his days off. But it was kind of neat to see him. <laughs> to see him walking his dog on the 1960s Gotham City streets and look up in the sky and say, holy flaming skies of death. <laughs> There's also a Batman 89 universe and you had, um, oh, it was the actor that played Arliss, who was the reporter in the first Batman film. Oh, uh, Robert Wall. Thank you. Robert Wall was on a, a park bench doing a little cameo. So <laughs> it was always uh, nice to see. And I do wonder if these animated features, um, you know, a few years before this, there was a series of comic books uh, called Batman 66. Oh, they, they're was, pretty fun. And and do you think that had to influence this feature, don't you think? Well, I think they were, I think they were both coming out at about the same time okay. initially. Um so I'm sure I'm sure they were they were feeding on each other. Although uh, having read some of the Batman sixty six, they it's definitely made by people with a fondness for the source material. But one of the fun things that they do is that they take modern Batman characters and sort of retrofit them into the sixties. That's fun because I, I mean this. Yeah. Uh, both this and then the one we talk about next week, Batman versus Two Face. It is so married to the TV show. And maybe there's legal reasons for that, or they just didn't want to complicate the waters. That you, you don't see a whole lot of reinvention of um, new characters in the setting. Uh, I mean, so what are some kind of first uh, impressions you had of this, Alex? One of the first things, like I thought of, was that you know what this really feels like to me, and I mean this like in the positive, but this really does feel like like part reunion, part victory lap for mm-hmm. like the cast and crew as kind of like uh like hey guys wouldn't it be fun to get the old gang back together you know what i mean and really just kind of bring batman back to its like you know 60s origins with the playful camp atmosphere and everything like that and like i don't know you can kind of get feel that vibe when you're watching the film is that there's like this kind of comfort and chemistry and kind of this very light breeziness to it and i think it almost feels like it must be I think in parts maybe a response to the um, 2016 uh, Batman v Superman, the Ben Affleck Batman. You know what's what's so strange because this this does have a a really good cast, some of which are clearly like impersonating the 66 actors' performances, some of which are kind of putting their their own spin on it. Uh, and I got to give shout out to Thomas Lennon as Chief O'Hara. He's that he puts in a delightful performance. But the one thing that kind of jumps out, as long as we're talking about getting the gang back together, because we've got the classic Batman, the classic Robin, the classic Catwoman. Well, so John Astin was the fill in Joker uh, for uh, yeah, was was the fill in Joker in, in Batman 66. He's still alive. Why isn't he or not the Joker, the Riddler? Why is not he playing the Riddler in this? Oh, I, think, I don't know. Here. I think because the Riddler, so many people with Batman 66 associated with the Gorshin that maybe they felt it would have confused people had the Riddler shown up with the mustache. But then the audience going to, to you know, rent or buy something with the Batman 66 aesthetic would have known that already. So I don't. Yeah, that's a good question because um, 
he still does voiceover and acting from here to there. It's not like he's retired. I don't know. That seems uh, like an odd one. I mean, you mentioned Thomas Lennon. Uh, Stephen Weber uh, plays Alfred Pennyworth, which is... um, Friend of the show, because he was in The Shining. I suppose so, right. Yeah, Yeah. the Stephen King miniseries, The Shining. So, and I was looking up some of the credits of the writers. Uh, uh, What came up was Michael Jelinek had worked uh, before on... um, just a lot of animated stuff, you know, wrote for that 2004 Batman animated series and the uh, some of these uh, direct-to-video things like Wonder Woman, uh, Batman vs. Dracula, Scooby-Doo and Batman Brave and the Bold, uh, did work on Teen Titans Go to the Movies. And, uh, in fact, uh, Michael Jelinek made his directorial debut with a movie uh, with the co-directing with Aaron Horvath with a movie that made over a billion dollars this year, the animated Super Mario Brothers movie. So, oh, damn. Trust the fungus, as they say. I haven't seen it yet, <laughs> but we'll see when that, whenever that comes up on streaming. Um, anyhow, but yeah, this, I just think right off the bat, you, it lets you know the tone it's going for, which I think is important. And I, I like that the characters, huh, they always look a bit, anime looking but this one they kind of tamp back on that a bit and maybe it's the use of the colors but it feels a little bit less cheap than some of the uh, dc direct to animated movies because they either in my experience look really good or really bad what do you think thrasher overall overall i i like the the look of this and i think it it's it's a very clean style with big you know bold colors to try to capture a lot of the 60s energy and but it also has to be clean because they do make an effort to pack a lot of the scenes with like labels and signs just like in the just like in Batman 66 and you can't do that without a very clean precise style and they do give themselves some design challenges like what one of my absolute favorite bits in this movie is when it's revealed that Batman has a lunar rocket and the design they came up with for bat for Batman's lunar rocket is so good. It felt like the the animation style felt to me like um, it's like they took the darkness out of the animated series from the '90s and animated it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like it's a little brighter, it's a little lighter, it's a little more crisp. And they do look animeified, and I think like most Hollywood or American animation like this of the style has been like gotten just got a little dose of anime in the past like 20 years i feel like um but it's a good look and it doesn't i think it looks pretty good uh you're both much more animation savvy than i am but um it looks good i don't think it looks very cheap or anything like that like you said for um animated direct to streaming or direct to video features you know yeah, although I will say one thing that I that I I do feel have a lot of ambivalence about, um, though it is animated, they try to make everything kind of move the same way that it moves in the 1960s series. So a lot of the same camera angles, a lot of the same character acting, yeah. which is good, but it's also a waste of animation. The only, really, the only t- two times in this movie that they really, or three times, I should say, that they really take advantage of the fact that this is an animated movie is, one, the fight on the penguins, giant penguin blimp, which I think is visually delightful, two, the whole subplot that involves Batman going into outer space because you could never have done anti-gravity space battles 
in the 19th in a 1960s show and then three when it's the army of batman <laughs> but other than that this might not this might as well not be animated at all I, I i mean the camera angles are a good point um i also like that the editing is a bit slower like in the original series i mean i think it's certainly faster in, in some respects but they don't go crazy michael bay style with the editing which uh, which i appreciated and you do good references, like uh, you want to go nuts, let's get nuts. And then there's times when... Um, it is a treat hearing Adam West say that line. <laughs> it is. And I mean, this is before it was um, done to death in the trailers for The Flash. Mm. Where you have a Batman appearance in there. So I, I'm not... Uh, I'm a bit mixed on... I mean, much like the, uh, the Adam West Batman feature we talked about last time. On how they feel the need to cram it with all these villains. And it's like, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Well, I love, I absolutely love towards the end where, where they, where Robin and Catwoman bust all the, the entire rogues gallery out of the Arkham state penitentiary. And we get a fight between, we get a fight between everyone who's ever been on the show. I think that is very fun, both as just a fan but it's also just great seeing everybody sort of fight in character. There, there's some nice character work in there. Um, but, but then again, as far as like the story goes, the story here is the story here is Batman turns evil. And as a longtime fan of comic books and a longtime fan of superhero stories, the hero turns evil is the story you do when you don't have a goddamn idea what story <laughs> you want to tell. Yeah, the hero goes evil is about as bad as we're going to the main hero dies as a story. I, I, I feel like that has to be almost a little intentional, though, because I think they really are leaning into like the playing contrary to the, you know, over elaborate, super dark recent Batman stuff. So I think, like, which which plot thread are you going to do? I think you're going to do the most corny one you can think of, which is the hero turns evil by Inversion Ray. But I think I think it doesn't land, aside from the, the fact of my, my, my own history with that story beat, it doesn't quite work for me because at this point, we've already seen Adam West play against type so many times that having him play an evil version of Batman... Well, we've already seen weird versions of this. We've seen him play psychopaths and lunatics before, that, largely thanks to Family Guy and things like that. So yeah. this isn't a delightful surprise to me. This is just, it feels like lazy writing. The only time the, the evil Batman stuff I feel really works is when he creates an army of evil Batman and they start playing off of each other. It works for me because it's just so damn silly when you see like, you know, the like evil Batman, like pushing a baby carriage and like working at the grocery store and directing traffic. Like it's just yeah, it's I, absurd, which I which I enjoy quite a bit. Oh, no, I love the absurdity of, of Batman taking over Gotham City and replacing all of its civil servants with himself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. Yeah, those. Uh, those visuals are, are good. And. um I mean, we talked about the actors sounding a bit older, which you can't really help with the, um, you know, a little something called age. But Julie Newmar as Catwoman in particular, I don't, it's not that, I think her line readings are fine, but there is just that real disconnect with the age of the voice and then the age of how they have the character drawn. 
I I don't mind that so much because I can I can hear the actress's confidence in her voice, and and I think that that thing you're hearing is as much as I hate to sound like a superficial bitch. Um, that sound that thing you're hearing in her voice is that thing you get when you have a facelift that leaves one of your facial nerves paralyzed. Oh, that's an interest. I never would think of it like that. It's mm. it's like it's not quite a lisp, but it's this short. It's like Cher had a thing like that, where it's just sort of a thing like this. Oh yes, could be a bit of dentures too sometimes with the lips and the teeth a little bit. But it's, I mean, no, I think she does a, a good job, and it's nice that they brought her back. I, I do wonder if Eartha Kitt was still alive, they would have had her do Catwoman because she was. Um, Doing some more work there towards the end as uh, the what Yzma and Emperor's New Groove and those kind of things. You know what they would have done if they had Eartha Kit? They would have had them both, and then there would have been like yes. a new version where we have two Catwomen. Well, you know, not to get ahead of ourselves, but we do get both both Julie Newmar and Lee Merriweather in next week's movie. I'm sure they would have found a narrative excuse to have three simultaneous Catwomen, which oh, absolutely honestly could have been pretty fun. I know Batman would like it. I mean, I think that would have been that could have been the, the more interesting than plot than what we got here is versus the three Catwomen. So that can't be that well, can't be a Catwoman, Robin. What's well, happening here? here? It's 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 a it's a really like simple story where the villains team up, turn Batman evil, and then evil Batman has to be defeated. But it takes forever for the evil Batman thing to kick in. This yeah. almost feels like it was meant to be cut up into maybe a three to four episode miniseries. And the end of the second episode is when we're supposed to be surprised Batman has turned evil. Because the whole plot is Catwoman has invented a chemical called Batnip that she's going to use to <laughs> seduce Batman. But it doesn't take effect. Only it turns out it does take effect. But instead of making him fall in love with Catwoman... It turns him into an evil psychopath, but it's a real slow buildup to that. And you have all these weird subplots and narrative sojourns before we get to that point. It almost uh, feels as if they wanted to do this as an animated series at one point and then kind of, for budget reasons or whatever, decided, oh, wait, no, just do this as a direct-to-video movie instead. You know, I could totally see that. And, and in all honesty... You could still, despite despite the loss of Adam West, with the right cast, I feel like you could do a 66 animated series and still have to be pretty successful. Oh, so I've gotta, I've, I have to ask you. So uh, Aunt Harriet makes her triumphant return to the franchise in this, and she's played by Lynn Marie Stewart, who people our age will remember as Miss Yvonne from Pee-wee's Playhouse. See, I know her as Charlie's mother from It's Always Sunny. Oh yeah, mm. and and I guess like I've I've had the honor of seeing her live on stage. She is a delight, and she plays a great Aunt Harriet. Um, because like I I will freely admit, Aunt Harriet's kind of narrative dead weight in the original series, but I I like having her appear in this movie, and yet. In today's age, you need a podcast you can trust. That's why you need Hair of the Dogcast. Entertaining and well-informed discussions on both video games and beer. Meet our local podcast team, Dylan. I'm out here on the street, Brad, and everyone's clamoring for better podcasts. Our new rookie correspondent, Tyler. I play The Witcher. 
and I'm Brad, <laughs> and I'm slowly learning to hate myself in video games. <laughs> and Dylan's reporting to us live from Kingdom Hearts 3. There's a lot of Frozen here. <laughs> Too much Frozen. Hair of the Dogcast is a podcast you can trust. On your favorite podcast app every Wednesday, or whenever I decide to post it. Only on the Tokyo Beat Podcast Network. Today's show is brought to you by Epos Gaming Audio. With a comprehensive lineup of both wired and wireless headsets, gaming amplifiers, microphones, and webcams, Epos has everything you need to experience the power of audio. Like their H6 Pro lineup, which features two versions, an open or closed headset. The closed headset allows you to tap into exceptionally detailed audio and seals out ambient noise while the open version delivers natural, high-fidelity audio with an incredible soundstage. Both headsets include a magnetic detachable microphone and a sleek design that has no wild RBG configurations. Just good design. Listeners can save 15% by visiting www.eposaudio.com gaming and entering code EPOSFRIENDS15 at checkout. The thing that I kind of don't like, because again, even at the time this was played out, she has a subplot in this movie, but the whole subplot in this movie is her suspecting Bruce Wayne and Burt Ward of having a gay love affair. Yeah, they touch on that a whole bunch. And like I was because I, you know, I'm cracking a lot of jokes throughout because I just can't help it. Um, And then when she's like fishing trip, huh? And I'm like, okay, I don't think they're like, I don't think I'm you know, making a wisecrack here. But I'm like, wasn't that the same excuse they used in Brokeback Mountain? Yes, it very pointedly was. Right. Yes. I'm like, that can't be a coincidence. No, and I think that's kind of been the unspoken joke about Batman and Robin for a while and even, you know, led to, to comics being um, a big anti-comic movement for a bit there. So I think to kind of lean into that was a little bit, Tacky. Now, I mean, if that was the story of a whole movie, you could. I think you could and dig into it. That might be interesting. But to that, I think it, that'd feel too much like uh, SNL's um, TV funhouse, oh, the ambiguously yes. gay duo. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that's true because it is the same joke. And I think this movie's already stuffed with a lot of stuff. To sort of lean onto that trope is um, a little bit tired, frankly. And uh, I think you could do something with it. But if you're gonna approach it maybe give it more more time and make it its own you know episode or, or movie or what have you well like i like like if it if it was just aunt harriet snooping around and maybe like constantly getting dangerously close to finding <laughs> a bat cave right, as she right. does on one occasion i like that i think that would be fun and and true to character but aunt, aunt harriet's the type of character who i can't imagine she truly imagines anyone has sex she's just too prim and proper so just yeah. like her, her being, cause, cause I guess, I guess this is the thing. Cause this is, yeah. In the sixties on TV, they really wouldn't talk about somebody, you know, being gay, despite the fact that there was a sexual revolution going on and people in public were talking about it all the time. But with our modern sensibility, if, if you're going to have a character suspect that I would, I would rather she just say, Oh, they're probably gay. But I, but I love them. Aren't they cute together? Like if if she was just like blatant about it and in support of it, whether they were gay or not, I think I would like it a lot better than what we get in this movie. Yeah, because it does feel like kind of like a punchline. Yeah, um, and again, it's been, it had been done to death at that point. Right. It's one of those things where it's like I feel like the the suspense of identity, where like are they Batman? Is Bruce Wayne Batman? The Robin? Whatever. 
it's kind of like we already know we already accept that everyone's kind of dumb and doesn't figure it out and that's just part of the narrative that's just part of the fun so we don't really need to explore that you know what i mean yeah oh and also and this actually is another thing because because when of course batman turns evil bruce wayne also turns evil and we get some really cruel line readings from adam west and on the one hand he does have more range than he was ever given credit for uh and it's nice to see him use it. And yet some of those moments were way too dark and sad, particularly when he fires. Weirdly enough, the emotional low point in this movie is when he fires Alfred. I hated that. Ah, it it hurts so much to see my childhood hero being so mean. Oh, I know. Alfred, of all people, it's like his father, for Christ's sakes. Yeah. I forgot for a second. Sorry, interrupt. But, like, later on when you see Alfred, like, rummaging through a garbage can, I'm like, is he undercover or something? I'm like, oh, shit, that's right, he got sacked. <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to bring up. Oh, I, yeah. do, I do love that bit where it's just, where he where he gets fired and he immediately becomes a derelict living on the street. <laughs> yeah. But we see yeah. him, like, going through garbage cans in this very prim and proper way. Although, in a sense, he is undercover because in, in a, a story beat that doesn't entirely work, uh, it is revealed that... Batman and Alfred, you know, Batman suspected that one day someone might slip him a Mickey that turns him evil. So they had a contingency plan and the contingency plan involved Alfred getting himself fired so he could secretly work on an antidote. But well, hold on. Shouldn't evil Batman also know that that contingency plan is in place and then try to sabotage his own contingency plan? Yeah, like it It would like I, I feel like this whole story beat would have worked a lot better if Alfred had had just said, I must tend to my resignation. Sir. Yes. Yeah. And, and just vanished mysteriously as opposed to what we get in this get in this movie. <laughs> this man does not bend at the knee to villains. I shall give you my leave. But but it does it although it does lead to that great bit where you know I've I've sprayed you with the bat antidote and then evil Batman's like yes but I've already dosed myself with the bat anti antidote <laughs> and there's this great all this great back and forth thing about various chemicals and sprays and right that they have. which I wish I had written down because there are some fun like weird jars of chemicals like all throughout this this movie. Yeah, this is a very sciencey Batman for sure. I mean, he does have a moon rocket, and I do, oh, and yeah. I do, I do love that sojourn in space because you couldn't do that in the '60s. Oh, totally. Also, I, I, I tell, I wanted to get your input on this because I, I wasn't sure how I felt about it, but at one point they're in space, and Batman just busts out the brass knuckles and. Beats the shit out of everybody. <laughs> oh, like, like on the one hand, I do kind of like that in contrast with the really chaste staged violence in the original series. But that is also that 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 I thought that was kind of shocking when he put on the brass knuckles, and I was kind of horrified when he started using them. But it, they lingered on it enough that it sort of transcended itself and became camp again. So I I did I did find myself in the end liking it because they went so far with it. But that is tonally inconsistent with the rest of the movie. It's, yeah, it's like, I was, I was it, definitely thrown off, but I think they wrap it up quite well when 
he, he even comments, he's like, I don't like normally going that hard on someone, but blah, blah, blah. He says something, you know, you remember. But they do comment on it in the series, so I feel like that's kind of like enough corrective action, so it works. Yeah. Sure, and I don't know, I think for me the violence was a bit much. I can see what they were doing, but there's so it brought to mind a Family Guy again, and that they have so many jokes about you know, Peter and the chicken just beating each other up for so long, and to see um, Adam West Batman kind of really going for it goes on for a bit too long. I think it might have been, I might have liked it more if it was implied, or I don't know. I that was not one of my favorite moments. Um, but it, as you mentioned a while back, you know, all the the space stuff, having them upside down, and some of the darkness is is good, but I I wish they would have done a more creative story. Like I like some of the callbacks and the references, but I don't think I quite enjoyed this enough to uh, to recommend it. I think I would say sequel no to Batman: Return of the Caped Crusaders. I I'm gonna give it a, a sequel. Yes, uh, I despite you know my my criticism of the Batman turns evil plot. I think we do get some really good performances in this. I love the absurdity of the army of evil Batman taking over the city. I love, love, love that fight where they just fight every rogue that Batman has ever fought simultaneously in the in the television studio. I, I think I, I think that that is delightful. Just just as a as a as a, a Batman fan in general, but specifically a fan of the '66 series. This is a nice tribute to that, and and I think it is worth watching uh, for those reasons. And Alex? Nice. Yeah, I think that at at a breezy, what, like 76, 78 minutes? Yeah, it doesn't doesn't waste time. Yeah, exactly. And I I, I love it when they get it in together and on time. And uh, I like a swift animated feature. And it's been fun going back to campy fun Batman and I think just like if you appreciate you know the right dose of camp um, and some playful story beats and this is for you um, if you're a Matt Reeves Batman fan then this is not for you so I will say a sequel yes to this I did enjoy it it's a bit silly and a bit of a trifle but it's a very very watchable breezy uh, trifle and again, it really does feel like like um, like a victory lap, like a reunion. And it's kind of fun to have the gang together, even if it, you know, there's a few cracks in the hole and what have you. It's 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 still a good ship. Damn it! I don't know what the nautical reference is for, but whatever. And speaking of, of camp, something that I, that I did find actually rather delightful is that the closing credits is just this sort of looped animate this looped extended animation of Batman and Catwoman doing these kind of like 1960s dances together <laughs> to a very jazzy rendition, a very high energy rendition of the already high energy 66 Batman theme. Uh, uh, I, nice. I, I love that. I watched the credits just to see all those dance moves circle back <laughs> in. They're very cute. Nice. Yeah. You can tell that, um, had a lot of fun with the animation on this one for that sequence. So moving on to what you're watching, I saw something I've been meaning to see for years, but it's by a director who's not one of my favorites, and I was delightfully surprised. Um, I watched it on Paramount+. Plus. This is directed by Michael Bay. I'm talking about 2013's Pain and Gain. Have Ooh. either of you seen this movie? 
Yes, I have. It's uh, pretty pretty dark stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, so uh, briefly, what it is, is it's um, in a lot of ways pretty loosely inspired by a true story in which these kind of knucklehead um, gym rats kidnap a guy, uh, a multimillionaire, and, and clean his wallet out and um, and eventually, you know, get caught. This is, uh, as the poster says, their American dream is bigger than yours. It stars Mark Wahlberg, The Rock, and a pretty young um, Anthony Mackie just the year before he was in uh, Captain America Winter Soldier as the Falcon. Um, and what you have here is kind of Michael Bay trying to do um, Scorsese or Tarantino. Oh, totally. And uh, Tony Shalhoub, I think, is very, very funny as the guy that gets kidnapped. But, I mean, yeah, it's very dark. Ed Harris is here. And I had to remember, like, oh, yeah, Ed Harris was in um, Armageddon, I think. Or, no, definitely The Rock. Excuse me. Um, he was in The Rock. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's definitely in The Rock and something else, I feel like. But I'm kind of blanking on it. Yeah, and he delivers a performance that's too um, realistic, I think, compared to all the other sort of cartoonish performances in here. And you get so many different characters doing voiceovers. And while it's definitely a manic film, I think um, Ken jo- John uh, also has a funny kind of small part as a motivational speaker. And Rebel Wilson is in it. You know, great cast. Um, and I think it was was pretty good. You know, the script is kind of more up to snuff than a lot of Michael Bay movies. And I would, wouldn't mind seeing him do more stuff like this. Um, what did you think about it, Alex? I was really surprised because this was like this came out right in the middle of like Transformania. Um, yeah, a lot of us I think were kind of like even people who were half and half on Michael Bay, like I was. You know, it's kind of like okay, you know, I like The Rock and Armageddon's very dumb fun, very very dumb. Um, and then Transformers kept going on, and then I was like, oh, he made another film, and I was like, whoa, cool, something different. This is exciting, cool. And you definitely get that, like, you know, very Scorsese feel, the voiceover, quick montage editing. Um, At times, the characters are so stupid, it almost seems like, how could they even, like, have a driver's license, right? Like, they're cartoonishly dumb. But then again, a lot of kind of harebrained, um, you know, kidnapping crime schemes are hatched from not-so-bright people. It felt like... It felt like uh, like Fargo on steroids. Yeah, um, a lot of characters using drugs and, and high and so forth through the whole movie. Um, it, it has, you know, very bright colors that match with the Miami setting. And um, actually the real life person whom Tony Schlub's character was inspired by uh tried to sue him after the movie came out because he said it was a gross misrepresentation, even though they don't use his name in the movie. And I did like at the end when they show kind of the, the victims that survived, they have black lines over their eyes and they don't um, say the real names of two of the characters, which I thought was neat. Uh, on the other hand... Sorry. Yeah, it is no, pretty fascinating, though, because, like, you see what Michael Bay is capable of, and he, he's got so much energy and so much energy in his filmmaking. And then you see something like, um, you see Pain and Gain, and then I think you see last year's Ambulance, which I thought was a mother jump and great film. 
I love it when he does something else. You know, I love it when he does something original. And you see that here with Pain Again, I think, and, and with Ambulance. I'd like to, I like more of that Michael Bay, this very kind of high energy, tech savvy crime, you know, very savvy of making interesting crime films. And I think I think that is the thing with, with Michael Bay. He has so much energy and he is such a visual stylist. And I and I will say he is an auteur um, that it's got to be a project he's passionate about. When it's a project he's passionate about, you get something like pain and gain. When it's something he's doing for a check, like, say, Transformers, he still has all that energy. He still has all that visual style, but he has nowhere to put it. So it just goes into narrative wheel spinning and throwing CGI at the screen. Yeah. Oh, and that, that he directed five Transformers live action films uh, nearly in a row. I, I don't think did him any favors it's uh, in a way kind of like what we'll be seeing from james cameron who will, seems to be doing avatar sequels um for the next decade or so so mm-hmm. we'll, we'll just uh, have to see but yeah if you can find it pain and gain i think is uh pretty good you know very dark very very violent um sort of a, a, a heist gone wrong movie or in some ways actually the heist is successful but it's sort of you um but at what you know, cost? At what cost, right? And it's the <laughs> kind of thing where you see, okay, these guys are going to get their comeuppance. And uh, I think uh, Dwayne Johnson is um, is good in this. You know, he's really playing someone different. He's not playing a, a likable guy. Although the guy professes to be very Christian while torturing people. And Oh, that's right. I forgot about the Christian oh, yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of cool stuff going on there. So, um, Alex, what is something you've been watching? Well, I'm going to um, continue the thread of uh, relative true crime stories. And I rewatched an old French film I haven't seen in years, but I really remember liking. And that is uh, the 1960 film by Jacques Becker, um, Le Trot, or The Hole, rather. Have you seen this? Have you heard of this? No. No. It's... um. It's a very, like, tacit turn, slow-burning um, prison escape film. But the cool thing, the really cool thing they do, though, is that they cast one of the the, the jailers who actually orchestrated the real-life escape in the actual mm. film mm. as, like, one of the lead escapees. Like, he, he doesn't just, like, make a cameo as a guard or anything. He's, like, in the fucking movie. And um, it's all about the process and kind of, like, the like kind of like hypnotic monotony of breaking out of prison and it's like very and it's cool because it's like old school it's like the textbook definition of hacking basically of like all right we need to break out obviously we can't do it all in one night so we're gonna break through this door but we need to make it look like we didn't break through the door so i'm gonna stick a matchbook in the hinge from the metal part that we wrenched off and then file the edges down so when we go behind the door we can pop it in and look like to the point where it looks like no one opened it up so like seeing that process and seeing like that old school like literal brick and mortar method of like achieving this very difficult nearly impossible task Mm. is so fascinating to me um and again it's very slow moving you know watching a guy file through a bar but like the way he does it is that, like, you file, like, half an inch in, then you go down and then across, so that way you can rest the metal bar back in its position. So, again, no one sus- suspects what's going on. Oh, uh, uh, yes. Really cool stuff. Um, I know, I'm not sure if it's streaming anywhere, but I have the old DVD kicking around. Um, 
but a really wild film. If you like prison break movies and old French stuff, um, this is very, very for you. Or if you just like slow burning crime films, this is very much um, up, up your alley. I would definitely recommend it. And is that Criterion you said, or? Yeah, I have the Criterion disc. It's probably streaming on their channel, I bet. Makes sense. Um, Thrasher, have you ever checked out the Criterion app? No, but I keep meaning to. I'm uh, like, I am always on the verge of you <laughs> subscribing to it. It's definitely worth doing a trial of, at the very least. I think the selection is pretty good, although they rotate it and they do keep like commentaries and some of the special features on um, oh, some gosh. of the some of the stuff on there. Which is something other streaming services really should do. Yeah, definitely. So they do have Latro on there. I just looked it up. Yeah. Nice, nice. Um, all right, and uh, Thrasher, what have you been watching? Uh, so, I keeping the theme of uh, DC Comics superheroes, uh, I started watching uh, My Adventures with Superman, which is a <clears throat> excuse me, which is a new it's it's a new Superman animated series that's airing as part of Adult Swim, but it is very much like not typical of Adult Swim. Is this the one where it's sort of anime-looking and more focused on the romance? I might have seen pictures of this going around. Yeah, it is It, it is heavily, heavily anime-inspired. About half the voice cast are people who either got their start or still do a lot of anime, uh, anime dubbing. And it's so great to hear them doing voice work in a medium where they don't have to make things overly long or overly fast to try to fit in with, like, lip movements. So the performances are a lot like they, you get better performances out of the, the voice actors that way. But yeah, it is essentially a workplace comedy about the Daily Planet that spends more time on Clark Kent than it does on Superman. Hmm. And it's it's very well animated. It's very earnest. I, I love the characterization. Um, only two episodes have aired so far, uh, and I believe the first season's only going to run six episodes, which is not unusual for Adult Swim. But I do hope they they make more because I like the way uh, I like the way that it's going. Um, and there is more origin story stuff in this first two episodes than I expected, or that I think the show really needs. But the origin story stuff they have done is very well executed, uh, and they're clearly putting their own spin on Superman's origin, and I'm curious to see where it's going to go, including a twist that I'm expecting is going to happen. <laughs> uh, but but it's really, it's just really, it's just nice to see a nice, earnest, positive Superman thing uh, after you know, after so many dark cinematic jaunts with Superman recently. Yeah, right. everything's a pendulum, man. Like, it, it goes one way, and then it goes the other, you know? Yeah, and they've given the characters great personalities. There's uh, wonderful... P- Perry White is... Ex- their, their Perry White is excellent as this just kind of put-upon put upon newspaper editor who doesn't have time to deal with Clark, Jimmy or Lois's bullshit. <laughs> uh, I love, I love that Jimmy, you know, Jimmy is still like a crack. Oh, that's one of the things that they did. That's really, that's such a smart idea. Jimmy Olsen is Clark Kent's roommate and best friend. So oh. like, they live together and there's like odd couple stuff that happens with them, uh, which I think, you know, works very, very well. 
Yeah, and it sounds like some of that optimism we'll be getting in James Gunn's uh, Superman Legacy. You can only hope, yeah. And um, and did you see the the casting for that? They announced who the Clark Kent and uh, Superman and Lois Lane are going to be. I, yeah. I I I they definitely look the part, so I am cautiously optimistic. Like one who's playing Superman is David Cornsweet, who I don't recognize from anything, but Lois is played by Rachel Brosnahan, who's best known as the lead in the Amazon Prime series, The Marvelous Miss Maisel. Oh, I like her. So her as Lois, I think, makes a lot of sense. People joke that the guy they cast for Superman just looks like a younger Henry Cavill, and uh, they're not wrong. So, well, they'll, but, they'll get Henry Cavill back to play Jor-El. That's what they'll do. You know, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, or you could, yeah. if, if, I mean, they also say him. Henry Cavill just looks like a younger Christopher Reeves. Yeah, and I guess I guess the last thing I, I want to say, so, yeah, so my adventures with Superman definitely has my hearty endorsement. It's the Superman series I didn't know I always wanted. Um, but they have a masterful bit of against type casting in this. So um, Slade Wilson, also known as Deathstroke, the Terminator, he really does seem like DC's fastest rising villain over the past like 15 years. He just, he shows up in more and more projects and gets a bigger and bigger role. Um, get Take a wild guess at who plays this, Effectively, if Batman was an evil mercenary type character, who do, who would you cast as as Deathstroke? Oof! Mm. In an animated series like this, as an evil, mm. I'm gonna go say a Skarsgård. How about you, I, Matt? Skarsgård is a, one of the Skarsgårds. Is a good guess. I would say it's um, eh, Mark Hamill. Why not? Actually, that would be a good choice, but no, it is from Saturday Night Live. It's Chris Parnell. Interesting. Okay. Oh, the, the goofy impressionist dude who always mm. plays put upon losers is playing DC Comics Ultimate Killer, and it works. Okay. And like the first time I heard it, it's like, wow, this anime voice actor is doing a pretty interesting Chris Parnell type voice. No, it's actually Chris uh. Parnell. And it works flawlessly. I could not believe that it was him when I looked well, at some, it. Well, sometimes comedians are, like, the best actors. Like, I think Fred Armisen, for my money, is, like, one of our best actors working right now. He just oh, happens to do the funniest shit in the world. He's very good. Him and Maya Rudolph. Yep, totally. Yeah, the interesting choice. I mean, Parnell has done a lot of um, commercial voiceover work and, and also animated voiceover work. Uh, you don't see him in movies too much and um oh there's there's an snl person who popped up in something i didn't even know what was out but taryn killam played a part in a remake that came out recently of the river wild the uh kevin bacon merle street movie oh interesting so yeah it's uh you always see the snl people pop up all over the place um nowadays so we have a sequel scene here that you had posted. Do you want to set the the stage? Cause it looks looks like it's Catwoman, Batman, and Robin. Yeah, this is if, if I recall correctly, this is when they're all Batman's finally turned good again, uh, and they've all gathered on top of the Penguin's giant Penguin Zeppelin to fight the to fight Penguin Joker Riddler, uh, everybody, everybody else, everyone who is a villain in the uh, the <laughs> the original Adam West sixties Batman movie. 
And uh, they make a rather cheeky reference uh, mm. to another iconic Batman film. So I'll I'll do Catwoman. That's... Okay. Um, you want to do Robin, Alex? Sure. I'll do Batman. So on so on on the blimp, they've just defeated the other villains. Okay. I'll turn myself in on one condition. What's that? We run away to Europe together, sip tea in a cafe, and live happily ever after. Holy unsatisfying ending! Oh, and of course we kill Robin. Not Robin. <laughs> Everyone loves Robin. <laughs> <laughs> why, why is like a gorilla monster saying that? <laughs> it's another well, crossover. Robin sort of Muppet will be King Kong. Did? I mean, that makes me think... I know you, you mentioned with Superman and, and Jimmy Olsen, and Jimmy Olsen had his own pretty uh, delightfully ludicrous um, comic book series for a bit. Did Robin ever get his own series? Um, yes, but also, like, Robin has had, there have been solo Robin series, but then also the original Robin would become Nightwing, and Nightwing has had a sure. series for a long time. Well, and there's been a lot of Robins, too. That's a good point. Very true. He, he, yeah, he goes through them like cheap cigarettes. <laughs> he does in fact i think um well, we can end on this note uh, i guess what was the first batman comic uh, you recall reading uh alex um i remember it was one of the original dc threads and all i can really remember is that the cover had uh batman fighting off all these thugs like one had a chain another had a switchblade but like in the foreground there was like an old woman ordering them to attack batman and it was like this like old grandma was like the in charge of this like gang syndicate or something it was a really weird image that i could never really shake from my head interesting um thrasher so for me, it was a it was an issue of Detective Comics. I'm pretty sure it was Detective Comics 632. It might have been 633 because it was the second half of a two part story. It was my eighth birthday, and I believe it was my then friend Brian uh, had uh, like their gift. Like they heard I liked like comics and superheroes. So their Christmas or their birthday present for me was just six, like six comics that they had grabbed off the shelves. It was like, uh, like it was like, it was uh, Batman, the flash cloak and dagger. Uh, and I distinctly remember this story because the premise of the story is that it's, it's, it's so, and it was so well executed. Uh, cause it was another first for me, uh, because, Batman, so the short of it, the short of it is there was a gang of white supremacists fucking shit up in Gotham. And in the course of doing that, they accidentally released the golem from Jewish mythology. Mm. And this golem was going on a killing, it was going on a rampage through Gotham. So it was Batman fighting both white supremacists and trying to contain this supernatural threat. And most of the comic is Batman consulting with a rabbi about, well, how do you defeat a, go a golem? So this was also my introduction to the concept of a golem. And it's I will, I'll, the, the art style used in it is very naturalistic, except for Batman. So Batman comes off as just as much of a supernatural presence as the golem. And it's just it's 
it's just a, a like it's a wonderful story that takes a, a stance against white supremacy, which I also appreciate. I like it. I like Very it cool. when we see superheroes take a moral stance on a real world issue. And that is kind of like um like the the golem was like had like a very strong screen uh, screen presence in like the 20s and 30s with the rise of fascism mm, yeah. you know it was, a, it was a very much a political statement as um as the you know the nazi party came into came into the four you know yes it was so yeah that was the first batman comic i ever read and it made a very big impression on me and i i will still i still have that comic i will reread it from time to time it's very good There we go. Um, yeah, I think for me it would have been. Yeah, I was only seven when this comic came out, but this was uh, Batman Year Three, so it's never been collected under the, under that name. Um, although it's in some other collections and, and so forth. And I, I think actually Thrasher, when you and Jason were out here, oh, I think year before last, oh, yeah. um, we uh, I had found a few issues of this at a comic shop, which was sort of fun. But the idea is it's sort of Batman reminiscing on him getting Robin, but then you also have some present day stuff with Nightwing and uh, teases of uh, Tim Drake, who was the third uh, Robin. Hmm. So a uh, pretty complicated storyline. I found it difficult to follow as a kid and then rereading it as an adult, I still find it somewhat difficult to follow. I think it's trying to uh, to do a bit too much. But um, nice artwork, very dark uh, artwork, and just a uh, very sad retelling of Robin's uh, parents dying. And, and this uh, came out not too long after the comic book story where um, readers could call a 1-800 number and vote on... Or it might have been a 900 number, actually, right? And, and oh, readers, that was a dark time in comics. Yes, <laughs> yes. Or readers could vote if Robin gets killed or not, and they voted to kill off Robin. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, that Robin was the Jason Todd Robin who has repeatedly come Second back one. as other characters. You got to think, did some of the people who called in and voted to have Robin die, do you think they feel cheated that the character didn't stay dead or that the death oh, I'm, later I'm, turned into a fake out? I'm sure there's some. And, do you um, think there's a class action lawsuit waiting to happen? <laughs> well, I guess like what's the inverse of that? Like Reddit forums now? Mm. Like yeah, instead of the 900 I'm, number? And they did, oh, I'm trying to think. It might have been about that that storyline, but they, they did some, or maybe Batman and the Red Hood or, or one of those um, animated ones. They did a version that had a choose-your-own-adventure aspect to it. Interesting. As a cartoon, but then when you watch it streaming, it's just the version with the same ending as the comic, more or less. So they kind of took out what made that interesting. Um <laughs> Yep. So next time we'll be uh, wrapping up our look at the Adam West Batman features with Batman versus Two-Face. I was, cannot uh, wait. Yes, this will be pretty good. So um, you can follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. Uh, so you can follow me on Instagram at WT2Art. You can follow me on Twitter at CrabNebula1914. So for sequel cast two, this is Matt. This is Thrasher. And this is Robin. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Help, Batman, I got my head stuck in a chair. Very well, old chum.
And the, but this the, is the last time. Alfred's licking my foot, and it's really ticklish. <laughs> oh, this is going in a weird place <laughs> I do not want to go to. Oh, oh my, Robin. I I have to say, there's a... Did you step in a Na- Napoleonic uh, ice cream sandwich? I, I think I taste a note of strawberry and chocolate there in one lick. Holy Everyone Tarantino, Batman. 